Okay, well, we're in chapter two, and I hope, I hope to get through chapter three tonight. So we can do one and a half chapters, that'll be a record. And um, have you guys been blessed just to be reminded repeatedly through Paul's words so far of the gospel? I mean, we have been inundated, flooded, our, our minds and our, and our uh, hearts have been basically just given... 150% of gospel, just gospel. God loves you. It's not based on um, anything that of your performance record. Uh, the psalmist said uh, in Psalm 130, if you kept a record of sins, no one could stand. But with you, there's forgiveness. Therefore, you're feared. And, um, and then the psalmist's response is, I wait for you like the watchman waits for the morning. Yes, just like the watchman waits for the morning. He's like, You're, I, all my sins are right before you, and you decide to forgive me of them, and therefore I'm going to fear you. I'm going to stand in awe of you. I'm going to be reverent before you as the, as the one that's chosen to forgive me, even though my record sheet is very, very long. And if anybody, anybody ever to live had a record of sins kept, then no one would, no one would be with God. No one, would, no one be, would be in fellowship with God. And so your record of sins is completely, in the gospel, it's washed as white as snow. And uh, to be inundated with that for me, personally, has been a great blessing the last month. Um, just, just you know, those, those times where you have to battle, you know, truth versus what you feel. And uh, a lot of times when you feel that, man, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm failing here. You know, I'm, I'm, my record is not good. And uh, I, it was one one thing before I was a believer, but now I'm a believer. You know, when you're a believer and you have God in your heart, and man, you wanna you wanna please Him, right? You wanna you wanna have a, a hundred percent. You wanna have an A plus in obedience, and and when you come face to face, when you when you've just chosen the wrong direction, or you made the wrong decision, or you just sit there and you think, why why are you wasting your time with me, God? I'm not making I'm not making the uh, the cut here. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that you could spend some valuable time with. You know, instead of me and, and wasting your time. And uh, if, if you resonate with any of that in your heart, you know, you know what it feels like in those times. But when you're inundated with the gospel, when you're inundated with what God has done on your behalf, completely irrelevant of your record. Your record of sins is done away with as if you'd never sinned before, ever. That's, that's the power of the blood of Christ. And when you have that fresh in your heart, like I've been, and like you guys have been, have been here, you can't help but just rejoice in the fact that, man, it has nothing to do with me at all. In fact, just the opposite. It's good news. It should be blow-me-away news. That's the better version, right? How can it be, God, that you would simply say, my record is no longer accusing me, even though it's factual? How can that, how can that be, God? How can you arrange it to where you, being a holy God, would actually find a way to forgive me? Well, Paul in Ephesians would say, it's such a great plan. First of all, we're going to call it a mystery. We're going to, and it's been a mystery until now. Second of all, it's so great that I'm going to have to pray for you to really truly understand the depths of it. Thirdly, you need the power of God. You need the Spirit of God to really understand what is the height, the depth, the length, you know, the width of, of His love for you in Christ Jesus. And to... And to fully come to grips with the repercussions of that fact. That you actually belong to a, a family now. A family of people that, have, that are not perfect. That 
Any one of us could come with a rap sheet and say, I remember my mistakes. I haven't forgotten them, per se. Um, some of them I may be unaware of, but they're there. If we all came and we all see all this printing of what we've done wrong and our sins, and we held them up in a company of, of fellow saints, we would just see that printing just dissipate like invisible ink. And all look at each other like, did that just happen to you too? Did your sin do just what my sin did? Was it gone? I mean, you, we all have blank sheets. What's going on here? The repercussions of the gospel is that you have a family where you can go through life with knowing that things like forgiveness are entirely possible and normal when you're offended by someone or when you offend them. It's, ent- it's entirely normal and possible to not be bitter when you're hurt by someone else. And you will, because again, we're not like we're, we never sin again. But when we do, there's forgiveness there because we're still in awe, right? The more you stay in awe of the gospel, the more quick you are to forgive, the more quick you are to, uh, to, to fight the urges that come naturally, even as Brian was talking about last week at Sunday services, even when it comes to retribution, that, that God acts in the supernatural realm here. And you're part of that. You're part of that, where there's hope now that, God, I don't have to live like my desires or the whims of my feelings go. I can live a, a life that's totally different than that. Because, why? Because my rap sheet has been burnt. It's, it's literally been blood-soaked. My soul has been blood-soaked. And that blood did, did not leave any residue. It was completely the best agent. Isn't that something? That the one agent, you know, you think of, the, the advertisers of, of like Tide or something coming out with a product saying this will really get the, you know, the, here's the Tide product, the sock, and here's the leading competitor. And see how much wider this one is? You know, <clears throat> the, the substance by which God chooses or has, has chosen to cleanse you from all stains is actually the very one that's hardest to get out in the natural. Has that ever kind of struck you as odd? Like, wow, the cleaning agent for my soul is actually in the natural what he used as a, as a as a visual as really got you know Jesus' blood. It would stain your clothes to the to the degree if you poured it all over you. There's no way you're going to get it out, Tide or any other agent. But in God's kingdom, it does completely purify, whiter than snow. And just so happens that when you allow that soaking to happen, in other words, you're 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 almost if I could say, at the foot of the cross, in the sense that your mind and your heart has been inundated with the gospel out of this book, this life-giving book, it's like it's like the the blood just pours over you, like the priest was just it just dripped off Aaron's beard and the anointing of it. And you could just see, just like Lord, just cover me in it. If it's going to be the cleaning agent that you want to provide for my sin, then just just pour it all over me. And and that's what we do through faith. That's what Paul says is faith. When we come to the place where we realize. I need that. My soul needs cleansing. I need the cleansing agent. And there's only one source of a cleansing agent. That's the blood of Christ. And when, and when, you're, when you're soaking in the gospel, your life is different. And I, I'll give you what I said. I think it was last week or the week before that. Life is a progression. I think I've lived long enough to realize life is a progression where you need that blood and that cleansing more and more and more and more because simply this most often there's more people around you 
that you're influencing in one way or another that need a miraculous life being lived around them. I'll give you a couple examples of my wife here. I need to be in the supernatural way of life for her to be a loved wife. My sons, same thing. Um, I, I can get so frustrated so quickly, you guys, as a dad, when, um, when I've asked a certain thing to be done and it's not done. And I can get really in the flesh pretty quick. And, it, and it's one of those things I just know. God, you're, you're not. I wish you, your work would happen. I know I'm, my sin's been cleansed, but I, I want the actual reactions to change. Did you ever, you ever feel like that way? Where it's like, man, I want, I want, I want my instincts to be grace and mercy and control of the tongue and you know um, just making them laugh when they mess up because of the silliness of it and not getting frustrated those are those, that's like insight into my reality day to day but praise the lord that there's a source where that can happen and it's not just me trying harder because as i try harder i just get more frustrated but when i soak in the gospel when i'm in awe of what god's done for me on my behalf when I read the words of Paul in Ephesians, one verse, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Man, when you have that fresh in your heart, isn't it, doesn't your life have different instincts and reactions and desires? I mean, don't you feel a difference when you are just reminded of how great the love of God is and how much he's done for you? See, Paul's writing to a group of people that have very little experience with the, with the, heritage, with the heritage that um, the Jews had. These were mostly Gentile believers. And for them, living for God or going opposite their feelings, they didn't have any understanding of that, any working tradition of that. It was very new to them. So Paul's describing the gospel. He makes them soak in it, doesn't he? First three chapters, he's just like, gospel, 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 gospel. Now, let's see how it naturally lives out. Four, five, and six. Whether you're husband or wife, child, in relation to your parents, bond servant, slave, master, it doesn't matter. We're going to cover that. It's a natural thing, but he lets them soak in the gospel. So we took, we stopped at verse 13. And it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the what? By the blood of Christ, right? That's what, that's the agent that brings you near. So we're picking up in verse 14 of chapter 2 and he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So my first question is, who is he referring to? He's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his body or his flesh that enmity. Who, who are the two that are becoming one? Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Um, again, it's, it's, it's a little bit removed for us. But I want to give you one example and bring it home as far as how this is indeed a miraculous thing and how we can glean from this. Do you know that it was punishable by death to have a Gentile go in past a barrier wall? There's basically in the temple itself, in the courts, there was a wall. And 
outside the wall, uh, Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. But there was a wall and an entryway, and then that's where the Jewish women would stay. And then if you went farther, you'd get into the area where the Jewish men would go. But no Gentile would go through and step foot that first wall. Why? Because it was punishable by death. Why was that? Well, the closer you get to God, what? The more critical it is that you come on His terms. And at this point, if you were outside the Jewish faith, you, had, you weren't even close to being prepared to meet with God. I mean, we're talking about God's mercy in abundance here, just by prohibiting people that had no clue how to approach Him as He would want. It's his mercy to say, I want you to stay far away. Because if you come near, I have no choice but to, you know, you're, you're full of sin. You have no idea how to approach me. You guys get the idea. But, if, but if, if he's saying, if Paul's saying to this group of people that are used to staying outside somewhere, okay, not drawing close. When you hear terms like it's time to draw near to the God who is in the very holy of holies that the Jews have been worshiping, but you've been prohibited from even approaching uh, we're talking about radical things that they're being taught here. And, and he's basically saying, because of that division, because of that societal uh, hatred between the two, he calls it that, he says, you, you've, been, you've been distant from one another. It's time that you guys come close. And how is that possible? Everything has been fulfilled by Jesus. Everything that has been fulfilled in Jesus is, is such that Every reason for God's mercy, every reason for God's love is found in Jesus. And the fact that he died, you know, when he died, the veil was torn from top to bottom, right? You guys remember that? Earthquake happened, veil's torn. Holy of holy is opened up. But was that just for the Jews? Was that just for to say, okay, every Jew that's not a high priest, you can come in now. Was that for them? Only. No. Right? It was for the whole world. To enter into the Holy of Holies. How? Did you still, just like all rules, all bets are off. You can still just run in there whenever you want. No. Now the spiritual reality had taken place and you went in with the blood of Christ. But anybody's able to go in through faith. So he's basically saying, guys, because of the gospel, you who are historically at odds with one another to the point of having hatred, Jesus, by dying, has welcomed everyone into the family of faith and now you are brothers and sisters in Christ and this wall of division has been defeated. How? By him spreading his arms and basically saying anyone who would come, come. Okay? It's not like this was new. Going back to Genesis, you'll see a heart for the nations. Remember when he called Abraham, you're going to be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing to whom? To the nations. It wasn't just the Jewish people. So this isn't something new that Christ started. He was just making it possible. Okay? So he's saying, Paul himself, a Jew, is saying, it's time for the enmity or the hatred to stop because you're really in a family together. But this was radical stuff for a Gentile who had no idea or, or very little idea of even what it meant to be a Jew. So he's saying... He's abolished it in his flesh, the enmity, that is the law and the commandments contained in the ordinances. In other words, things like you cannot enter the temple courts as a Gentile. That was for their own protection. But now Jesus fulfilled all the law and they're able to come. So he's basically proclaiming to them good news, isn't he? He's like, it's time to draw near. 
as Gentiles. Now, I don't know how many people in this room have Gentile or uh, rather Jewish roots or heritage or Jewish lineage. But um, I'm Mexican. I don't have much Jewish going on. <laughs> um, my wife's Scottish. And uh, as far as I know, Stalker, that's her, that's her maiden name, by the way, Stalker. I married a Stalker. It's spelled the same way. Okay? <laughs> my mother-in-law, and I know my mother-in-law, as a side note, would introduce herself. Yeah, Stalker as a knight. Stalker, that's how you spell it. I'm like, all right, whatever. But I married her, so um, she's a great wife. I think everybody should marry a stalker, but that's just me. Why did I even mention that? I told you you need to pray for me. Thanks, Dan. Um, I don't even know. Oh, Jews. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, Gentile, Gentiles having access to um, God who came... Uh, presented through these people, the Jews. Uh, praise the Lord that he opened up the gates. Praise the Lord that he tore the, the veil from top to bottom. Praise the Lord that the ordinances of the law were not to be performed perfectly in order to get to the Lord, right? How many people would be uh, in that club exclusively? It would be one. It would be Jesus. And that would be it. All Everybody else would be failures and outside the promise. And that's what he's going to say. He's like, it's like, in, the, in his death, he created in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now let's bring this home, you guys. Let's make the rubber meet the road here. When, you have, when you're at odds with somebody else, okay, when you're at odds with somebody else, to the point where there's hatred going on, a group or an individual or somebody who's hurt you, there's only one place where that's put to death. It's not rocket science. Paul's just putting out right here. The place of death for enmity is where? At the cross. What's the opposite of hatred and enmity? Peace, right? It's the opposite. Look what he says. He says, he made one man from the two. So he brings Jew and Gentile together. He makes one body, one man, thus making peace. If you're at odds with somebody else, the only place you get strength to have enmity cease and have it replaced with peace is to have peace with the Lord first and thereby going in that power of God's peace showered upon your soul and go forth with that that uh, peace mentality, right? If you start anywhere else, you're so far behind that you can't even get to that place. I mean, really, if you think about it, where does hatred end? It's like, again, what we talked about on Sunday, what Brian was preaching on. You overcome evil with good, Right? Where does good come from? The cross. And it's amazing how quick, even, even in, in times when my wife and I are, are, are not seeing eye to eye, it's amazing how long, and you guys, some of you guys in relationships or have been in one, you know the longer it, it goes, the, the, the more enmity builds, it's simply because we haven't just stopped and said, well, hey, hold on, time out. <laughs> time out. Um, we need to stop because we're at each other and we need to really focus ourselves where? At the cross. Why? Because right there, I all of a sudden see, I'm a sinner saved by grace. My sin account has all been paid for. It's white as snow. And who am I to hold enmity between me and the person I love the most? My wife. It's amazing how short arguments become or end up being when we actually grab a hand and start praying. And um, it's usually because we've hurt each other so much we're just tired. It's like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? That's true for any relationship you have. It always goes to the cross and it'll end in peace a lot sooner. 
Verse 16, it says that he might reconcile them both to God first, right? In one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the hatred. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. So both to the Gentile and to the Jew, he's preached the gospel. For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. There's just one spirit. There's one access and there's ultimate unity as a result. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Right there, the saints are identifying Jewish believers, right? Fellow citizens, who's he talking about? He's talking about Gentiles. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, before we get into the cornerstone, I want to put something in your mind as far as this goes. If you're a Jew and you've followed zealously the law like Paul had, there's got to be a miracle of God going on for him to welcome these people that had no clue of what it meant to follow the law. You know, if you're working hard like Martha, for example, and you're, you're striving, you're getting up early for your quiet times every day, you're praying, you know, um, long prayers, you're, you know, before your meals, and, you, and you're hanging out with somebody who's a heathen, and you're just like, this person is just out there in left field. Um, you know, unless you have the gospel, you're going to be prideful, Right? You're going to be prideful unless you have the gospel tearing that down at its core. Reminding you that you were afar off at one point. That's how patience builds. See how all this flows out of the gospel and the cross? Patience builds with people that aren't saved because you realize that was me. And that is me without the power of God in my life. Not just to be saved, not just have fire insurance in case I die, but really to have something happening in my life that changes my attitude, that changes my perspectives man i got to remember where i came from i got to remember what god saved me to give me patience and love for those that are far off so if you're paul and you're writing these words god's got to be at work in this guy's heart if he's saying i in another place he's like i was so i was zealous above all other jews of persecuting christians i was i was zealous for the law i was zealous for the tradition of my fathers he studied intensely the law of god under the best of rabbis and for him to, to make the pronouncement, I mean, this is awesome that God does this. He says, hey, you have the job of saying, even though you've done nothing like that, and you've had no clue what even it would be like to do that, you're going to be the pronouncer of the blessing to those who have no clue about how hard you work, and that all the blessings you're receiving through Christ are theirs too. Man, it's like asking my youngest kid to give a, a, a treat to, my, to my, his brothers and not getting one, you know? It's like something's got to happen there by God. It's like, hey, Davis, why don't you go give this treat to your brothers? What's his first reaction? Well, his first reaction is to just sit on the floor and pout. But do you think it's going to get to my, his brothers real quick? He's going to sit down and he's like going to start crying. He's going to say, Dad, it's not fair. Something about our human nature, in other words, says, I deserve this and they don't. And if I don't get you know, my props... And they do, when they haven't done anything, then there's something wrong. Now, what parable does that remind you of? The workers, right? Workers started coming in at the first crack of dawn. Those guys worked hard. They got paid so much. Went out and found more workers at noon, six, you know, end of the day. And these guys are like, man, I can't wait till we get paid because we've been here all day working hard. And uh, if they got as much as we were agreed to get, think about how much we're going to get. You know, the, the faithful guys, the guys that have been working the hardest, you know. 
that pride that sets in that is an expectancy for more blessing when you put in your work and your time. You've punched your time card. You guys probably feel like, like that at work, right? You work the hardest. Nobody even sees it, perhaps, and then somebody else gets promoted. You're not usually out there saying, way to go, you're awesome. I'm so glad you got that promotion instead of me. What's our reaction? Our reaction is, I deserved that because I worked harder, right? Think of that in a spiritual sense. That's how we get pride. Can you imagine? This is evidence of the gospel changing Paul himself. To say, just throw out my zealousness for the law and the, the traditions of my fathers. That means nothing. What did he end up calling it? Don't use the French term. Just dumb. He's all, all my zealousness, all that training, all that other, it's just, it's refuse in comparison to the grace that's been shown. Isn't that amazing? That's evidence right there, you guys, that we don't say, well, I get mine. I better get mine or nothing, you know, no one else should. And so he's like saying, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer distant, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So now we're going to get into construction. Anybody work construction here? Construction industry. All right. Yeah. You guys know we're going to start building. We're going to lay a good foundation, right? He says, what's the foundation, spiritually speaking, of our household of faith? What's the foundation? He says the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. The word of God coming through those sent out with the gospel and the prophetic utterances of those people, the word of God. That's the foundation. Now, Jesus Christ was a good guest, but he's in this case, not the foundation. Remember in Matthew seven, he says, if you hear my words and you do them, then you're wise. And it's like building your house on the rock, right? But he doesn't say here, I'm the foundation. Although he says, talks about the rock uh, to Peter. But in this case, he's saying the foundation here, if we're going to make a building analogy is we have the foundation of the, the gospel. Now, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, you guys that were construction, what's the chief cornerstone mean? What does that mean? It can also be translated. I don't know if some of your Bibles might say capstone. Anybody say capstone? Or do they all say cornerstone? Okay, in other places there's capstone too, and there's, I'll actually get into that in just a second. But what's the cornerstone mean? Okay, good. It's, it was definitely a starting point. A starting point for other stones. Okay? stones if you're going to build a house in that day you're going to have you're going to need a lot of stones in fact when the temple was built they did all the quarry work outside the temple mount when they brought in the stones to build the temple it was said that you couldn't hear any hammering going on it was just a place of total reverence it was all done out the quarry they brought in finished stones and they've stacked them accordingly but the main one that they would set up first had a certain position usually right at the corner um future generations even up to this day sometimes you'll see near a corner of a building uh, kind of a ceremonial kind of cornerstone like a placard or something saying this was built by so and so same idea but they're not really structurally you know critical as much today and then back then they would set the cornerstone and uh, starting place is a good description of it because everything else was in that plumb line it, where they set the cornerstone, that's where it was going to dictate where your other walls were going to be. And if you got a cornerstone in the wrong place, everything's going to be, um, you know, off. So, if Jesus is our chief cornerstone, what's what is he, what's Paul's point? If you're going to build, start with Jesus. Your life, you guys, your life right now in this season is in the process of a building. Uh, uh, operation 
if you will. And any, anyone, I don't care if it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship, career, anything like that, if your cornerstone is honestly something besides Jesus Christ, and you're trying to build off of that, your plumb line's off, your walls aren't going to be straight, your roof's going to uh, cave in. Now, capstone is something very similar. It wasn't always the corner uh, stone. In some cases, it was the completed piece, like, in a, like if you were to consider a, a dome, like the one that kind of brings it all together, the last one would be considered what's called a capstone. Same idea, though. It's not complete until you have it there, right? And then, it, then it's celebrated as this structure is sound. It's complete. Same thing, in a sense. You need both, right? But if you're going to start anywhere else, your life is going to be off. In, in all honesty, you're not going to build right. And, um, and you can fake Christianity, guys. You could fake it. And, and really, my heart among all things for you guys, is really just encouraging not to fake it. Just come clean and say, I've been faking it, and I know that's not right. And it's not doing anything, but getting my wall is all crooked. Jesus has to be the chief cornerstone of your life in a serious way, where you're actually putting Him and you're pursuing Him in a way that you pursue, all your other pursuits would really pale in comparison. Why is that so important? Because Jesus Himself said, uh, you know, if you're going to build wisely, build on the rock, right? Otherwise, you're a fool. You're a fool. You're setting yourself up for what? For a collapse. I think it has something to do with the fact that this, the percentages run the same percentages as the world as far as divorces goes. Be, between people that tell other people that they're Christians. I don't know what that means, but the percentages are right about the same. As far as divorce rate, a little bit of, above one in two marriages and divorce, there's no difference for people that consider themselves Christians. Now, that's depressing. <laughs> Here's the good news. Um, we started doing premarital and found out that one in 2,000... Oh, my wife's not... She must have got a phone call, but uh, 2,041 or something like that. It was over 2,000. One in 2,000 marriages of, of Christians that pray together end in divorce uh, daily. Pray together. One in 2,000. I'm like, okay, there's some pay dirt right there. That's the difference, guys. That's the difference between faking it and actually having your faith real where you're going to the Father for strength, love, forgiveness, power, all those things that the gospel produces in a person when they're soaking in it. Okay, when, you, when you're not grateful, how many times do you go to the person that gave you something? No, you, don't, you just don't do it. But if you're, if you're inundated with the fact that God has saved me, an unworthy sinner, you're going to, the, you're going to that, 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 that Savior that saved you, and you're just like, Lord, thank you. Keep me humble. Keep me appreciative. Keep me focused on you. Keep yourself as the chief cornerstone in my life as it's being built. And when you get, when you get guys, when you get two people in that same place of, of, of their seriousness in, as it pertains to Jesus, you get two people in that place of, I am seriously going to pursue all these other things that God's going to call me to let go of, I'm going to let go of in faith, trusting Him with it. As you see another person doing that, that's the person you want to be with. As far as even considering a relationship of any kind, I don't care if it's dating or otherwise, you have to find somebody who has Jesus as a chief cornerstone and it's, and it's not fake time, it's not Christianity time, it's not just putting on the form and checking the box, yeah, I'm a Christian, and as long as we go to church and take our kids to church someday, if we have kids, then we'll be good. That one and two divorce, that's just, that's just make-believe. It's not having Jesus as chief cornerstone. Can you tell I'm a little bit passionate about this? When you find, when you find, when you find somebody 
When, when, well, actually, let's, let's take it out. When you find yourself pursuing God, and He is your anchor, He is everything to you, and you're dependent upon Him for everything, in terms of your life and your future, and you're laying it in their hands, and you're taking risks for the gospel, you're actually uh, not just going to church out of duty or routine, there's actually a, a drawing unto the Savior because you want to you wanna know more about Him. You want to you just, you're, you're hungry and, and, and you just want more Jesus. That is, that is the only place. That is the only place. It's not, it's not even an option. It's the only place you get if you're going to have any hope to have your life fulfill what it's supposed to fulfill and for your relationships to prosper. And I, I, don't, even just mean, I don't even just mean marriage. I just mean friendships, you guys. I just mean being an encouragement in the body. I just mean being a light in your workplace. I mean, these things are like, you, it's just set out there. Uh, for for all of us, myself included, it doesn't end when you just you know get married or whatnot. It, it even takes on more pressure. And I think the reason is is because there's more being built, and there's more at stake, right? You throw kids in it. Gosh, how many people here? I'm sure had a divorced home. I mean, I'm surprised you even want to get married if that's if that's the case because you've seen the the tragedy of it. The more you build in a house, the more at stake. The more you don't want it to crash, right? You don't want it to crash. So. It's kind of a, a way to scared straight, if you will. I've seen too many fakers, and myself included, I have a tendency to fake. So I'm putting myself in this position to say, man, when I'm pursuing the Lord, my wife is a blessed wife. And she knows it when I'm faking. She knows it. She knows it. And more importantly, Jesus knows it. It breaks my heart. When I, when I, when I come correct, I'm like, Jesus, please help me not to fall in religion. Not to fall in just routine. Not to fall in just faking it. But really pursuing after you. Having your word that I'm feasting on. Having prayer with my wife. I mean, sometimes you'd be surprised, guys. you think, when I get married, I'm always going to pray with my spouse. Because we're always going to be together. And when it's, we wake up, we go to sleep, it's just naturally going to happen. Guys, it's nothing but a lie. <laughs> it like literally just goes, duh, I haven't asked my wife to pray with me in like a week, a month. You know, and the longer it goes, you're trying, like, how do I even, how do I even get back to a place where I, Jesus is like, man, don't move that stone. Don't move that. Keep me focused. Keep me centered. And help me be an encouragement to those around me to do the same. When that happens, you guys, there's miraculous living to be witnessed by the world. And they're seeing the one in 2000, what, you came back. So what's the, what's the number? What's the number one in 2000 something of couples that pray together? Over 2,000. I like that club. I want to be part of that club. You know? I, I want that one. I don't want the one and two or more than that, right? Uh, okay? We're all good? Same page? I'm going to be watching you guys. <laughs> okay. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows in the holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So he's basically saying, not only do you have your individual houses, but as a community, you're building the dwelling place of God when you bring those pieces together. And you're actually living stones. And when you're built together and together in a body, Jew, Gentile, male, female, Greek, slave, free, you know, there's just, there's just we're all there. Then that's the inhabiting place of God. Now, this is a radical idea, guys, because they're used to having a temple where you go to meet God. 
They're not used to transferring that into a group of people. And, and, and more than that, a group of Gentiles. This is crazy. He's like saying, you Gentiles, it's not about Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's about you fellowshipping in the glory of the God who saved you. And guess what? You have been created with a purpose to, to be part of a body. And when you are together, you are a dwelling place for God himself. That's pretty amazing. So for us, are we part of that even tonight? Absolutely. Absolutely. Through the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, uh, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. In other words, he's dispensed much grace, much grace to me, and you're the benefactors of it. Um, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been uh, now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Uh, by way of parenthetically setting this up, notice that he says in verse 3 of chapter 3, how that by the revelation he made known to me the mystery now, the rest is parenthetical, so when you get down to verse 5, he's talking about in the, in the timing of it, in the timing of it, what is the mystery? In verse 6, he tells you that, here's the mystery, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me, by the affecting working of his power. So he's basically saying, you want to know the mystery? The mystery is that God is so great that he can include the Gentiles in total partakers of the gospel. There's the mystery. And before this time, man, it was, it was unheard of. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Why would Paul say he was the least of all the saints? He's referring there not to just Christians, but to the Jewish believer or Jewish uh, Jews in particular, saying, I was the least of those of my people. Why? Even though he was probably near the top, if you're to grade him, I think it's because he knows that the true people of God are not those by circumcision of work of hands done to them, but really the circumcision of the heart. And he knew, it, short of God meeting him on the road and, and arresting him in his pursuits of persecuting Christians, he really was the first in line to be um, given wrath of God. He's like, I was the least. Really, I had it all backwards. I thought being zealous for the law was most important. What I realized is I had to be zealous for God. I had to be zealous in my heart. And he's like, I was the least. But I was shown grace. Not just so I could just say, wow, God's really good to me, but why? Because there's other people that God wanted to bless through him. And for you guys, each one of you guys has a sphere you know this, but I'm going to remind you now because it's appropriate. You have a sphere of influence that God has divinely given to you. Divinely. And the grace poured out upon you is really, it's, it's basically like you're a vessel with, with holes in it. You're supposed to leak all over the place. So the grace is meant for those around you for them to be blessed by the grace of God that's been poured out in your life. Workplace, friendships, family doesn't matter. Church, the body. He's like, hey, I was given much grace. Why? Why? Yeah, it's great. I'm going to heaven. But 
more importantly, that you Gentiles would know the truth. That's, that's true for all of us, isn't it? That's, that's Paul's attitude here. He's like, I'm humble, and for good reason. I deserve wrath. But more than that, God's grace has come upon me, but it's not just for me. It's for all these other people that God's put in my life, and it's true for us. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord, this is good for all eternity, huh? It doesn't have an ending. We just get to count on this being true. It's never going to change. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart and my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, he's in prison. He's under house arrest, most likely, in Rome. He's basically saying, don't be be cut off. Everything's good. It's for a purpose. It is actually your edification and your growth. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that, you, that he would grant you, now this is their second prayer, he's going to pray for them. This is his prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to be exceedingly abundantly above, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's how he, that's how he ends, fittingly, right? The gospel in three chapters. He's like, I just want you to know Again, the great love of Jesus. And I want you to really just have the richness abundantly given to you so that he may be glorified in you and all of us together. And um, boy, it's it's awesome to be prayed for in that way, isn't it? And and I really pray that, that we would get used to praying that for one another. You know, that, that it's, it's great. Requests are great. Physical healings are great. But when was the last time you just prayed that they would be able to comprehend how deep the Father's love is for them. You know, whoever you're praying for. Those are good, good prayers to pray. <clears throat> and then he just says, hey, it's all about Christ Jesus being glorified in all generations forever and ever, including ours. Including ours. Let it be so, God. And uh, so we conclude and we close that book. We could spend a lot of time in that passage, but I'm just going to let that prayer be simple as it should be. Um, and pray for us that we would have that same understanding. Um, and I hope, my hope is that these first three chapters have led you to a place of really being in awe of really how deep and how high and how wide, how long is the love of Christ for you. Anybody in any realm experience a little bit of that these last few weeks through the gospel presented here? I know I have. And praise God for that. Because that's the only way it happens, huh? We get inundated with His word, the truth of it, we believe it, and it's realized in our lives.